they, um, I share with them that uh, <clears throat> they do not have the ability to discern spiritual truth. So therefore, before they ever even open the Bible, they've got to get out on their knees and ask God to graciously favor them by having the Holy Spirit open their eyes that they might see his eternal truth. And I do that myself. When I, when I have a quiet time, I have a quiet time every morning. Well, I may miss every now and then. But um, I have a quiet time every morning, and I pray that. And I got a couple of verses, uh, Psalms 119, 18. Open my eyes. God, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I pray that. And then uh, another one, Psalms 143, 8, if I can quote it. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, O Lord. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul to thee. And I pray that one. But I tell the Lord, and I've done this many, many times, and I say, God, I, you know and I know that I do not have the ability to discern what you want to say to me this morning. So unless you choose to open my eyes and open my heart and help me to see I'm about to waste a good 45 minutes. So I pray, God, I, in fact, I'll say, God, I beg you. I beg of you to have mercy upon me. Look down upon your servant and have mercy upon me how much I need to know you. And would you open your word to me this morning? And I, I pray that. Very, very, and, and it's like a, uh, it's almost like a, a begging. Uh, but I know that's true. And so I do beg God. But same thing is true as when we uh, have someone stand up like uh, <clears throat> like Josh has done for four times or so, and he speaks. And, you know, that could, that could just go right over your head. You never get a thing out of that. i uh, <clears throat> tell you a story. When you get old, you got a lot of stories. I was at, uh, with, the, with the navigators at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. Greatest campus in the state. Oh, no problem. No, com no competition. We called it that beautiful crew from San Lu. We had a great ministry. We had about 250, 300 people involved in weekly Bible study, scripture, memory, et cetera. <clears throat> the crusade director came to me, and he said, Chuck, we're going to have a national campaign of evangelism to reach just the community, and it's called Here's Life America. And it's going to be a national campaign all over the United States at the same time. And uh, there's a, a block of churches from Santa Barbara all the way up to the Bay Area. And there's about 45 churches in that area. And we want you to head up Campus Crusades ministry to those churches in, in the, for the next six months. And I said, well, Barry, I hate to be the first one to tell you this, but I got a job. You know, I, I, my, my plate's full. I mean, we had a big ministry going. I said, why don't you do it? You're the crusade rep. Why don't you do it? And he said, well, we've prayed. All of us have prayed. And we feel like you're the guy. We want you to head that up. So I go to my boss, man, and say, I said, what do you think? And he basically just said, you know, well, I can't make a judgment call. You know the area, you know the people. You make the call. So I went to the, my pastor and... Uh, I was close to him, kind of a confidant, really. And uh, 
his church, our church, a great church there in San Luis Obispo was heavily involved. So they had a big meeting down at Arrowhead Springs, which is Crusade's headquarters before they moved. A big meeting and had Dr. Charles Stanley from Atlanta to come out and speak to kick off Here's Life America. This is a big deal. I mean, they had 400 pastors and sprinkled in amongst with some key laymen to come to this meeting to, for Stanley to explain, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try to make an impact across the United States. We're going to, we're going to, this is what we want to do. So he gave us his stem-winding sermon. And then he, had, he says, uh, I want you to, before you go to bed tonight, I want you to get a piece of paper out in your Bible pen, and a pencil, piece of, uh, a pen, and I want you to ask God, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from you using me in this event, in this evangelistic event to all these people? Is there anything? Now, I'm a navigator, you know. So I go back to my dorm. There's six of us in this room, three bunk beds. I climb up in my tunk bunk, get out my note, my yellow tablet, get out my Bible, get out my pen, and I pray. I said, God... I, uh, I, I do want to be used. God, I do want you to use me. I want, I want you to take whoever I am and what I am and use me to reach others throughout the coast here. Would you do that? And God, if there's anything, anything that's hindering me from being that, I, uh, I pray that you'd speak to him about it, and I promise you I'll take care of it. Well, I'm a navigator. There can't be possibly anything wrong with this illustrious ministry that we've got going and this illustrious family life and walk with God. And, I, and to my shock, God said, well, there is something. And I mean, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, there is? He said, you, yeah, you live on that farm three miles out of town. He said, you spend an awful lot of time taking care of that farm. I want you to move into town. I said, oh, God. I mean, it's, he said, no, I want you to move into town. You spend too much time doing it. And those horses that you board, I want you to get rid of those horses. I said, God, that's extra income. I mean, I, I mean, we're just as poor as we can be. I want you to get rid of those horses. Okay. You know, before I got through, I had six things on my list. And then I promised God I would do, and I did. I went back and told my wife, shared that with her, and we made up, we did all that. And God used us in a great way. But you know what was the shock on my life? I mean, the shock on my life is that I'm up there on the top bunk with my little yellow tablet and my Bible open, writing down the things that God is speaking to about that is hindering me from being fully available to him. And I'm the only guy in the room doing it. The rest of the guys are laughing and cutting up, and some guy's got some cards out, and one guy's cleaning his toenails. I mean, they're all laughing and clattering, and nobody, nobody has paid attention to the one, one request that Stanley made. If you want to be used of God, let me uh, please do this one thing, and they didn't do it. I don't know what God did in the area. I don't know. I got my doubts. But we don't want to do that. Josh comes up here and he speaks. I went home to my room last night. <clears throat> I got home into my room and, I, and Josh talked about loving God's word. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I, I reflected on that. I got it on my knees and I said, God, please, I beg of you that your word would never become stagnant and stale to me. 
but that the, your word would be alive and active and sharper and just and that I would love it and long for it every day. And I got on my knees and goes, he asked us to do that. A minimum. So we can come to these retreats and learn a lot of good stuff. And it won't change one iota of your life. It's a cooperation uh, between you, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. But you can waste a good week. Sound good. Have some good times. Good friendships. Have fun. And it did not change you one iota. Maybe not. But that's... uh, I just wanted to say that little bit. Because I I want God... I want you to experience... The totality of all that God is. You just can't believe what kind of life that God is offering you. We're going to talk about the names of God in one of our sessions and what God is offering to you. I mean, I did the study for myself and was staggered. I don't think I've had anything impact my life like that in the last 10 years. Is that study on who is God. His names and how he revealed himself, who he is. So I just uh, I want this to be a good weekend for you. I want it to be a good weekend for me. Uh, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to be better. And I'll be talking on one thing about uh, your goals for your life. Who are you becoming? We're going to be talking about that. And I hope that you will set your goals high. You know, I wrote wrote a note to myself the other day, Chuck, if you're going to do something for God, why don't you do something big? It takes the same amount of time. But if you're going to do something for God, why don't you do something big? So I just would like for the weekend to be very profitable to you. Um, That was all preliminary uh, information because I don't really know where I'm going here anyway. So, Okay, we're going to talk about endurance, okay? This is simple. I mean, this is really going to be simple. But endurance, it, it's all rooted in how you think. End of, I mean, end of seminar. It's all rooted in how you think. <clears throat> now, let me show you something here. That's the Navigator Ministry Wheel. And I drew that up here, and, I, and you can see maybe uh, at this small a distance, you can see the writing. But I went ahead and drew it out over here just so that we could see it. But let me show you the... Uh, there's four activities. There's evangelize, and there's establish, and then there is equip, and then there's sin. Those are the four activities. Let me... Thank you. What I do ministry-wise back in uh, Big D, uh, and Watermark has four campuses, and I'm at the Plano campus, uh, they, they got a world. They got an amazing ministry going. I mean, you, I really feel like they're impacting the whole city. You know, they got a class called Merge. If you're seriously dating or you're engaged, they, they ask you to go through their Merge course to become one. Do you know that last year, 5% of every marriage in Dallas County went through that Merge course at Watermark Church? You think, well, five, that's one out of 20, not a real big. That's one out of 20. And then they sit there and goes, what if it's one out of 10? What if we get up to 20%? What if one out of five people 
the, 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 the fellow and the gal, and they sit here, and they for 10 months, they go through the Scripture, examining what the Bible has to say about becoming one flesh and loving each other and caring for each other and marriage. It, it's, it's just, I think the church is impacting the whole town. Now, Dallas, is, Dallas Fort Worth is about 7 million people. But they've, they've got their sights set on that. Well, I, where I work at Watermark, I work in the Equipped Disciple Ministry. And um, what I do, I work here. I do two things. I equip people and I establish people. Now, let me give you, I work with businessmen. Now, most of the people in my Bible study are uh, young couples, but usually I'll get the male one time, the, the female the next, whatever. But uh, they're business people. They're not college students. They're all in their 30s. Uh, got families, three or four kids. Uh, been married, you know, eight, ten years. Um, major responsibilities at work, travel a lot. But their main heart, their main life is to know Christ and walk with him. And so I help those people. Now, what, so I, I come up with, now, one thing about businessmen, when you work with businessmen, they need a working definition. Don't give me some theological definition or some nice pie-in-the-sky deal here. Give me something that works. And it better work the first time because I got no time for repeats. But you tell me what this means and how it works. And that's how they're very, they're very demanding. And that's great. That's great. So I, can, I come up with what I call working, working man's definitions. So what establishes, establishes what you believe and how firmly do you believe it. That's what the word established, to me, that's what the word established means. What do you believe and how firmly do you believe it? Now, I can't tell you how critical that is. Let me ask you a question. Is God sovereign in your life? I mean, I'm talking totally sovereign. Is he over everything? Is God good? Is he always good in every circumstances? Does God love you? Which means he always does that which is in your best interest. Is he that way? Is he reliable? Does he know where you are? What do you think about God? And I guarantee you that will affect how you, how you, whether or not you make it or not, how you survive, how, how the Christian life looks in your life. But what do you believe and how firmly do you believe it? And that's what I spend most of my time doing, working with people. What do you believe and how firmly do you believe it? Well, then the equip part, oops. Man, I'm doing good here. Now, endurance is a, by, is a byproduct of that thinking. You know, we said endurance is a product of your thinking. So endurance is a product of how you think. Why is this thing doing that? Now, here's the definition of enduring. It is to continue a course regardless of stress, hardship, or difficulty without faltering. It's to bear up. <clears throat> now, I got a verse here, First uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 11, 22 through 28. And Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. I qualify. I'm, I'm, I'm up there. I, I got the qualification. Are they servants of Christ? And then he said, I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten, Times without number. Paul says, I have been beaten so many times, I've lost count. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. 
He didn't know if he was going to make it or not. <clears throat> Five times I received from the Jews. <clears throat> 39 lashes. <clears throat> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. No, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, <clears throat> dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the country, in the wilderness, and it, <clears throat> dangers on the seas, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship. Get this, through many sleepless nights. Now here was the Apostle Paul, the great man of God, the great, I mean, does he not get any slack from anybody? I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights. How does that bother you? How does that affect you when you're in laboring and your hardship and you can't even get any sleep? Through labor and hardship. And to get this one, <clears throat> in, in hunger and in thirst, often without food. And Paul says, it's not that I didn't have enough to eat. I don't have anything to eat. Now, is he enduring? <clears throat> In cold and exposure, Paul would be walking from city to city and a storm would come up and rain and he would sit there and walk along for hours and hours just cold from the wind and being soaking wet. Never says a word. By the way, the five times received after 39 lashes from the Jews, there's, there's, none of those are recorded. Tell me where that you read about one of those times where Paul got beat. Isn't, they're not in there. So you think, well, that ought to be pretty significant. But they're not even listed. In all the book of Acts, nobody ever even listed. Why? Because it wasn't critical. It wasn't important. I'm going to show you that. Apart from ex such external things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So, but what if your suffering is from God? <clears throat> you know, I memorized a verse uh, several years ago, and you know it. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or naked? You know the verse nakedness or peril or sword. One day I'm reviewing that verse and I realize that the question was who shall separate it, not what. It's not what will separate us, it's who. And that persecution and distress and famine, and that's people. That's somebody making it hard for you. <clears throat> and that's, the, 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 you know, it, so, but what if it's, what if we deem, well, this is from God, does that make it more bearable? If we say, well, this, you know, this is of God, and so I know he's doing a work, and so I'm just going to tolerate it. Psalm 66, 10 through 12. I memorized this verse. For you, O Lord, have refined you have re For you, O Lord, have tried us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Now get this. You brought us into the net. I don't know if you've ever seen a fish caught in the meshes of a net the more he struggles, the worse it gets. And he fights and he struggles and he pulls and he just gets more and more entangled. And the psalmist says, God, you did that. You brought us into the net. You laid oppressive burdens upon us. You've got just an overload of stuff. And you can blame God for it. You caused men to ride over our head. I, I, uh, <clears throat> this is not really a part of the talk, but... I have been through in the last about uh, about four or five years, I have been through 10 lawsuits. One every one of them in the sense that nothing was there. I was never convicted of anything. 
No, no fine, no, no punishment, no nothing, no negative downside, except it cost me everything I had. But, but the, uh, God did that. You caused men, and I would be sitting here in, in court knowing that we were in the right, knowing that we, had the right, that we had not done anything wrong, and knowing that the law typically should have been on our side and lose the case. And the judge ruled some other way. And I thought, you caused men to ride over our head. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to a wealthy place. And I've told the Lord many times, I said, you know, God, I really appreciate the, the nets and the oppressive burdens and men riding over my head. When are we going to get to that abundant place thing? Any time. I just want you to know I'm ready when you are. But uh, I, I attribute all of that to God. Here's another one. I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. <clears throat> I will gird you. They was talking about Cyrus, who hadn't even been born yet. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I do all that. Now, I'm telling you, we've got to go back up here. What do you think? Does that, does that fly with you? Is that okay with you? That God says, I do all of those things, good and bad. I, I, there is no God but me, so I do all of those things. So we're, we're, tr we're trying to think about how do we endure. So here's another one in Job. Job lost everything that he had, everything, except his wife. And it says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was his. My sheep, my donkeys, my camels, my trading, my import, export trading business that I had, my crops, all the cows and, and uh, oxen that I had plowing and all the crops that I had, and et cetera, et cetera. It, that was all God's. And I'm telling you, how do you think? How do you think? It determines whether or not you will be able to endure. And Job says, listen, I don't have a problem with that because God simply did with his own what he decided to. It was never mine. It was his. Now, Matthew uh, 20, 15, this is the story of the vineyard where the guy hires, pe hires people at 6 o'clock in the morning and again at 9 and then at noon and finally hires a couple of guys about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. They all go work in the vineyard. Then, then when they come back, he pays them the same amount. You remember the story? Everybody was unhappy except the last two guys. But the vineyard owner says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? That's the same lesson of Job. He says, is, is, is it not lawful for me to do whatever I wish with what is my own? The next question is, what is his own? What does God own? Does he own your health? Does he own your friends? Does he own your reputation? Does he own your, uh, your income? Does he own your degree? I mean, what, what does God not own? Is it not lawful for me to do whatever I wish with what is, what is my own? Now, we're going to back, we keep going back to this first slide. How do you think? How do, what, what does, uh, 
you know, establishing what, what do you believe and how firmly do you believe it? Do you believe that, that God owns this and it is his and it is his right to do whatever he wants to with it? Here's another one. Just You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your statutes for all things are your service. Do you know that everything that God ever created serves him? Never misses. Sun comes up when it's supposed to. Flowers bloom at the right time of the year. Trees, trees bud out. I mean, fish spawn. I mean, you name it. Everything functions exactly as God ordered it. Everything, except two things. And I only can find two things that don't function according to the way God ordered, and that is angels that they rebelled, got kicked out of heaven, except Lucifer. Lucifer's still there. But angels and then uh, men. Those are the only two things that God has ever created that don't obey him fully and wholly every minute of every day. The whole world is his. So it is all from God. So now there's the second kind of endurance, and that is self-imposed limitations. One is external factors. But there's another one called self-imposed limitations. And I I learned a lot when the... uh, the uh, gymnasts came at the women's Olympic team, not this past year, but past the Olympics, but the one before that, they were the first American girls Olympic team to win the gold medal. They won the all-around. This is the first time it had ever happened. Now they did it again this past year. But that was the first time it had ever happened. And so they were celebrities. Man, you mean celebrities. And they came back, and they were on the David Letterman show. Well, I wouldn't walk across the street to see David Letterman but I wanted to see what these gals had to say. And so he, he, he's making fun of it. He's making, a, of course, I guess his business is entertainment. But he says, you know, you're high school age. You're 16 and 17. This is the time of your life. You should be having the greatest time, the greatest fun that you've ever had. Tell me about your schedule. And so this one girl says, well, we're down at the gym at 4 a.m. And we work out for three solid hours till 7 o'clock. We clean up and go to school. We get out of school that afternoon. We go back down to the gym. We work out for three straight hours that afternoon. We clean up. We go home. We eat dinner, do our homework, and go to bed. And he laughs. He he said, you're supposed to be having the time of your life. You don't even have a life. Funny to him. None of them were laughing, by the way. So he asked him, he said, "Why, why do you do that? And one of the gals says, because we wanted to win the gold medal. One of the gals said, um, you know, I have not tasted pizza in three years. Another one said, uh, I've not had a sip of a soft drink, not, not one drink in six months, none. Because they wanted to win the gold medal. So those were self-imposed endurance. Nobody commanded and demanded that they be that. Now, you may want to have a certain grade point. You may want to reach so many people in your dorm. You may want to witness to everybody on your floor or whatever it might be. But, those, but then you've got to figure out what's it going to take to do that. And am, I willing to, and am I willing to pay that price? Do you not know that they which run in a race all run, but one receives the price? So run that you may obtain. And I put that up there for this next verse, verse 25, one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. And everyone who competes in the games... 
exercise his self-control in all things. Verse 25. The question is, are you competing in the game? Do you, are you competing? The question is, are you exercising self-control? I tell gangs when I speak to them, I said, you know, if you're going nowhere in life, if you have no goals, no objectives, nothing that you're trying to accomplish, it doesn't, what you, it doesn't matter what you do this weekend. You can go out and have, it doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere anyway. But if you are going someplace, if you do want to become somebody, if you do want to accomplish something with your life, it does matter what you do this weekend. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now, this is about um, you endure in, on self-imposed limitations. It's up to you. So what causes you to do? How do you endure without faltering? Good question. And number one is a commitment to a mission. I believe that uh, I, I was in the Marines. I was in the military. Uh, I wasn't in the military. I was in the Marines. But the, uh, well, we had high standards. But, you know, the, uh, I got sent out. I graduated number one in my class, and then I went to amphibious, uh, I mean, I went to uh, amphibious reconnaissance school because I got assigned to recon, which was the, kind of the toughest of the tough, and I got sent to amphib recon school, and I graduated number one there. And you know what, what happened to me in my little outfit is that we got all the dangerous missions. We got all the ones that were just good night. We'll never survive this. We got them all. But that was the, uh, we were committed to a mission. And I have been out in the, the jungles of Vietnam so far out of, I mean, we were so deep in our recon missions, so far behind the enemy lines in our little gang that we were even out of radio contact. I couldn't reach anybody. And I would have to, I'd have to ask myself, what do I do if we make contact? Do I run or do I fight? What do I do? Because I got 18 men, 17 men under me, and their lives, and I, I, I always dreaded. I, you know, I, I told them, I said, "Listen, I do not want to write to your mom and say, dear mother, I regret to inform you. I don't want to write that letter." So I was very concerned about them. But we were all committed to the mission. What has the what have they asked us to do and to accomplish? And it didn't matter how dangerous it was. It didn't matter how. Many, how many of the, we've been outnumbered in, in firefights over 10 to 1. It doesn't matter. What is your mission? That was, you need to have a very, very clear understanding of what is your purpose in life. Where am I going with, what do I want to do with my life? Now, Paul says, but none of these things move me. Now, this was the same guy that got beaten, whipped, and shipped, and stoned, and shipwrecked, and everything. That's the same guy. But he says, those things don't bother me. They don't bother me at all because none of these things move me to do. I don't count my life as dear that I might finish my course with joy. And the mission which I leave received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I am mission driven, said the Apostle Paul. Now here's the verse that we covered a while ago. But, but one of the things it causes you to do not only is a commitment to the mission, but a hope in the future. Uh, I read a, an article called Good to Great. The guy wrote it by Jim Collins, uh, business business guy. Uh, good book. I've read it twice. 
Good to great. Talking about companies that went from being good to companies that were great. Why? And so the, uh, he interviewed a guy named Admiral Stockdale. Now, Stockdale had been the senior officer in a Hanoi Hilton in Hanoi, Vietnam during the prisoner of war camp. Uh, it was horrible. It was horrible. But Admiral Stockdale came up with a, what he called the Stockdale Paradox. In other words, I, I cannot lose hope for the future. I have got to believe that our government is going to get us out of here. I've got to believe that, that we are still in their minds. They're still doing something. They're working at it every day. I have got to believe that. I've got hope. If you ever lose hope, it's over with. But they kept hope. But then he said, the paradox was that I've got to get through the day. I, and he took beatings for over seven years. Still, when he was back at uh, Stanford University at a think tank there, he could hardly walk from the beatings that he had taken in, in POW camp in, in Hanoi. But you've got to figure out what do I need to do today to get through the day successfully, and what is my hope? Where am I headed with all of this? And it's kind of a bifocal vision. But that's the um, a hope in the future. Now, I was going through some extremely difficult times, and I've gone through a lot of them. And a guy that worked for the telephone company, we were having breakfast one morning, and he said, he made that comment to me. He said, Chuck, if you could see the end, you'd agree with it. And I thought, that's one of the most profound statements I've ever heard. If you could see the end, you'd agree with it. If you could see what God is doing in your life, if you could see what God is doing through those circumstances, if you could see what God is doing through that hardship, that, that, that double tough time that you're going, if you could see the end of it, you'd say, you know, God, that was a great plan. That was wonderful. But if you could see the end, and that's what you, and, and your hope, you've got to hope that God knows exactly where this is going to come out. He has a plan for me, and it is a wonderful plan, and he's right on schedule, and you've got to believe that. So, one thing that helps is when you understand that it's really for your good. God never does anything for himself. He always does what is best for you. Always. He never falters in that. So, he says here, Moses tells him, In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, <clears throat> that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Did you get that? Because he's, what he's saying is, now listen, listen, get this, get this real clear. You're in the wilderness, he fed you manna. You had nothing to do with that. You could not produce it. You didn't go out and, I mean, it was there every morning, and you had nothing to do to accomplish that. Now, when you go into this new land, and we conquer this new land, and you're living in homes that you didn't build, and you've got vineyards that you didn't plant, and you've got cattle and sheep and oxen that you never had to purchase, and you've got farms, and you've got all of this stuff, you need to remember that you did not do one more thing to earn that than you did to earn that manna. Don't forget that. And so that's what he said. I'm trying to do good for you in the end because I don't want you to get into the land and think all of a sudden you did it. That's your, that's, that, that's your downfall. So understand it is for my good. Now, here's a Sir Thomas More uh, was a uh, British archbishop. He was under King Henry VIII. He refused to grant marriage rights to King Henry to Anne Boleyn. He wouldn't do it. He said, that's adultery. 
can't do it. So then the king, Henry, wanted to establish himself over the pope. And so he created a document that was a, uh, a signature of, of supremacy to the king. In other words, this doc, he signed this document, and this document, by you signing it, may, means that you agree that I'm superior to anybody on earth, including the pope. Well, Sir Thomas More couldn't sign that. He couldn't do it. So they locked him up. Just before they executed him, they cut his head off. And just before they executed him, he wrote a godly meditation. And this was, his last, this was his last line. He said, I need to think that my most enemies are my best friends. And now, you got, now I, I'm telling you, you've got to write this down. You've got to have this on your heart. You've got to think about this because this is life-changing. This is when you make it or you don't make it. This is what gets you through the hardest, darkest valleys you can imagine. But he said, for the brethren of Joseph could have never done him so much good with their love and their favor as they did with their malice and their hatred. And Sir Thomas More said, that's what, that's me. I count my worst enemies as my best friends because it is those that God used to make me the man I need to be. Amazing statement. Amazing insight into the work of God. The brethren of Joseph could never have done him so much good with their love and their favor as they did with their malice and their hatred. Now you think back on Joseph. Snotty nose, arrogant kid, good night, just repulsive. They sell him into slavery. Thirteen years. Betrayed by uh, Potiphar's wife. Goes into prison. Helps the baker and the butler. Doesn't help him at all. Finally, uh, there's a, the Pharaoh himself has a dream. They go get Joseph. And in an hour's time, he goes from being a hopeless slave to the prime minister of Egypt, second, only, second in charge only to Pharaoh. That's what the brethren of Joseph did for him. The brethren of Joseph did that for him. They didn't do it on purpose, but that's what God did. Now, here's the question. Are you willing to trust God? That when those things happen to you, you know that this is of God. God, I'm trusting you. I'm leaning on you. I'm believing on you. I'm, 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 I'm going with you. Sometimes endurance is maintained with your walk. Is maintaining your walk with God nothing left but hope. And I have been there. Let me give you a quote by Mother Teresa. This is just unbelievable, but it's kind of along the same line. But you'll never know. That Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. You ever been there? That's all you got. And you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. So, but so what is your hope in? It's in a God who knows you, who made you, who loves you, and always does what's in your best interest. Can you hope in that? Can you lean on that? Can you depend on that? Can you bank on that? But hope in what? But the foundation of it all is what do you believe and how firmly do you believe it? You see how, the, you see how that fits? What do you believe? What's up here? What do you believe? How firmly do you believe it? How, sh how can you be shaken? But that's the... Uh, so we endure. 
we endure because of what we believe. And I could almost say nothing else. You endure because of what you believe. Now, if you don't know God, you're, 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 uh, you're skating on some real thin ice. But that's the, uh, what do you believe and how firmly do you believe? 